Welcome back to Spread Talk. It is January 13th, 2022. Happy New Year and happy holidays to those of you that celebrate. As always, I'm Isaac. And I'm Will. And in the season of giving, the Cleveland Browns offseason has unfortunately ended. And we can talk about that for just a second. Um, They didn't finish last in their division. That didn't happen, surprisingly. Not surprisingly, I guess somewhat surprisingly. I came into this year with the expectation that they'd be a double digit win team. Uh, I also assumed that, you know, they would stay mildly healthy at skill positions. Um, That unfortunately did not happen, but they did win the final game of the season and lost about five spots worth of draft pickage. But, (laughs) you know, again, I'm not a believer in tanking. Let me just start with that. Um, not that I don't think it's a wise idea as a sports fan, because if the Brown, if the Browns had lost that game, you wouldn't have heard me getting all up in arms about it. But the the idea that people argue that teams tank and that players tank, I think, is ludicrous because you know any play could be your last as a professional athlete, and you're always putting out good tape for your next job audition. So I don't believe that any team tanks. The Browns went out trying to win that game, and they did win. The Bengals rested their starters, which they should have. And so it put Cleveland a game below 500, was it? Eight and nine? Yeah. Yep. Right. At least, I mean, the way I look at it is obviously the same. Like, you never know when your last play in the league is going to be. Um, but there's a big difference between nine losses and ten losses. That double-digit loss hump, it's kind of like in the baseball. Yeah. The baseball sphere. Do you want to win 99 games or do you want to win 100? Yeah, um, so that's the way I see it. I think there's a huge difference in that, like in terms of mentality. So yeah, going into the off season, um, pretty absurd. Uh, but we are now in the off season for the Browns officially, and in the season of giving, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. We have a wish list for the Cleveland Football Browns Santa Claus of things that we want to see happen for this football team and we'll start by dispelling the uh what i was planning on leading the show with had we recorded two days ago but andrew barry came out and said that he expects baker to be uh to bounce back and be the full-time starter in 2022 so uh i'll take off the top item from my wish list which was russell wilson um and move on to number two which in my opinion is a first round wide receiver someone that you can um, develop and not pay for two to three years. Uh, that's what I would like to see. Not to say that the wide receiving core for the Browns was abysmal because they're not a pass first team, but you can only really set up play action. If the opposing defense respects both your run game and your pass game, if the wide receiver group is not getting separation past 10 yards, um, I think it's difficult to get the Brown strength kind of cranking, which is play action, uh, read option run game. So I expect a first round wide receiver. That's what I would hope to happen. Yeah. So my number one on the wish list, um, and I'll get to, I'll get to my first round uh, wish, but my number one on the wish list is taking care of all the in-house re-signings. Um, I know it'll probably have to result in some cutting salary by the front office, but I want Clowney back. I want Ward signed to an extension. Um you know, guys like that, guys that are cornerstones. And and I, I really like Clowney. Uh, I think he showed himself this year, especially in that last week. 
when Miles Garrett was hurt and still taking double teams. Um, and Clowney was coming up big with the sacks and whatnot. So I think he was a big addition this year. And if everybody would have stayed healthy, obviously you would have seen his impact more. But my number one is definitely to take care of all the in-house free agents and guys going into the last years of their contracts. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, Jadavian Clowney, PFF's uh, pressure rate king. Uh, he's a very good, he's the league's best uh, defensive end too. Um, I think he's a bottom third edge rusher. If he's the number one edge rusher on that team, I think that team, if he is their number one, would have a bottom third pass rush in the league. But as a number two pass rusher, he, I think, is one of the best edge rushers that is not commanding double teams every game. And that's valuable when you have an edge rusher that you've locked up through 2027 or whatever that will command a double team on 80% of snaps. So being able to parry that and put the right tackle on an island with a former number one overall pick who accrued eight and a half sacks this year, probably should have had more if he knows how, if he learns how to pursue Lamar Jackson, even at all. So, um, it, At least we have JOK. The certified Lamar stopper. Certified Lamar stopper. Exactly. The fact that JOK got hurt in the middle of the season really, really showed how important he was. Um, yeah. The defense looked so much quicker whenever he was on the field. Not to say that professional athletes are stagnant, but you can tell a different, like I'm no investor. I'm not an econ guy. Let me be clear. But whenever I watch Shark Tank and I'm just an average Joe, I feel like I have at least some ability to be like, that'll turn into something special. That'll be a product that I'll see on shelves in two years versus products that are like, that's dumb and that's stupid. Like I have some degree of discernibility of what's good and what's not. And being able to watch the Browns defense with JOK in versus JOK out is like very easily seen. They're quicker to the ball. Um, and you don't have to ask your defensive ends to drop in coverage or anything like that because he can cover slot receivers pretty well and tight ends because he's big. Yeah, and he's he's all over the field. I remember vividly on a couple occasions watching a game, and for five plays in a row, the only players I see involved in anything are are him and Jacob Phillips. Um, so that I like those two linebackers, and I like them a lot. I think there's still room to grow, obviously, since they're both so young. But I do like them. Yeah, a lot. me too. Um, and so, continuing with our wish list, what I liked last year that the Browns did is they saw a weakness for the past two years. They've seen a weakness in their team. Two years ago, Barry and Stefanski saw that the offensive line was lacking. They then went out and bought slash drafted slash developed in the case of drafting Jedrick Wills, buying Jack Conklin and developing Wyatt Teller, uh, the number one pass block and run block offensive line that included signing Bill Callahan the year after that they saw the weakness was the secondary in which they went out and got um, a lot of secondary help in Troy Hill, John Johnson and um, Greg Newsome both. And I'd say developing greedy Williams into the coverage corner that he was again, going out and buying uh, drafting and developing in-house talent turned that unit into the, into a top three pass coverage defensive back unit in the NFL. So I anticipate they will do a good job in the passing game upgrades. Uh, that's what I expect. But what they did last year and two years ago was bring in veterans like Anthony Walker, John Johnson to a degree, but older, older guys, two years ago, Adrian Claiborne, um, guys that are consummate professionals at their craft that can go in and produce 
at an above league average level. Uh, a, a guy that I saw this year fill that role in the NFL was AJ Green with the Cardinals, right? So as far as receiving groups go, this is a very, very, very deep free agent wide receiving uh, class. I wouldn't say they'd go after Chris Godwin because he's Chris Godwin and Mike Williams because they've earned wide receiver mon- one money, but uh, maybe a receiver like Christian Kirk, even AJ Green, because I know he's a free agent. The list goes on for free agent wide receivers. I expect them to both draft a first round wide receiver and maybe bring in a guy that is on his potential by now third contract on a one-year deal for $8 million, a culture kind of guy, especially if Jarvis Landry becomes a cap casualty. Yeah, I like that take. Um, I do know that I would probably only give wide receiver one money to Godwin out of every wide receiver in this class. Mm-hmm. The rest of them kind of strike me as wide receiver twos in good passing offenses, uh, if that makes sense. You know, yeah. you see Christian Kirk. Uh, obviously, D Hop takes most of the defensive attention, and Kyler Murray is a competent quarterback. Um, and the list goes on and on. It's kind of like Juju um, when he had Antonio Brown. As soon as Antonio Brown left, I could tell Juju wasn't really going to be much. He needs right. that's the he thing. needs that bona fide number one next to him. And uh, just speaking on the Juju thing, um, his position kind of changed when Antonio Brown left. Mm-hmm. When AB left, he assumed the role of slot receiver, and he's been one of the better slot receivers in the league. He got hurt this year, but they also went out and developed Deontay Johnson and draft Chase Claypool. So, uh, just speaking on Juju, who I think is a free agent this year. I believe so. I believe he just signed a one-year. Yeah. So he would be in the running. I would certainly consider Juju if you're filling the role of slot receiver if they can't afford Jarvis. Um, Other guys that I would entertain as upside wide receiver one would be Michael Gallup. I think he has the uh, ball tracking skills to be a low-end wide receiver one or one of the better wide receiver twos. Another guy that I would consider throwing some coin at would be um, if not AJ Green, a guy that's similar in Emmanuel Sanders. Uh, I don't. I I would imagine the Bills resign him, and if the Bills make a run into the playoffs, I think that's more likely than not. Um, but there are plenty of wide receivers that are available this year. Another one that's interesting is Allen Robinson. I don't think the Browns would go after him, but that's another big-bodied six-three wide receiver that can play with any physical cornerback in the league he was hurt this year but uh, i'd just be excited to see where he goes i think the browns go out and shop for someone that's expensive but knows their role in a passing offense yeah i like the Allen robinson take that where i don't think they'll go after him but i wouldn't be opposed to him uh it's pretty much like having a fourth tight end for the goal line situation sure um but i i will kind of differ a little bit on the gallup idea Mm. I'm not a huge fan of Michael Gallup. You know, he has, he's had his problems with drops on occasion and, you know, he's in one of the better, one of the top passing offenses in the league. Right? Yeah, he's it, got it Dak Prescott. Yeah. It helps to be the wide receiver three in that offense. I mean, yeah. you're going so, up against a slot corner when you're an outside wide receiver. Yeah. So I think, I think his numbers might be a little inflated. You know, he gets, probably the easiest matchup from the secondary every game. I don't know. I don't watch many Cowboys games, so I don't know how true that is, but I, I can't think he's, you know, getting shadowed by the, by a team's number one corner, um, which if we sign him to fill that number one wide receiver role, that's pretty much what it's would happen. Good. It's, it's, 
let's rewind about three months uh, to the whole OBJ was the problem uh, move that the Browns made, getting him off the roster. Uh, I think it saved a lot of money. And ultimately, I do think it was a good idea because um, come this offseason, they would have parted ways with him. Um, and so moving on with the midseason gave first team reps to Donovan Peoples-Jones, who I think is going to be important to develop because he does have deep ball skills. He has the second highest like catch rate of passes over 20 yards or something this year in the league, which is significant Uh, coming from a quarterback since week three that couldn't throw accurate within 10 yards of a receiver, not bashing on Baker and bashing on his injuries. So um, anyways, getting OBJ off the roster meant that Jarvis slash DPJ now commanded cornerback one, responsibility and the passing game aside from the Bengals game that immediately followed following the whole rah rah we got to do this to prove that we made the right decision kind of deal the passing game kind of faltered uh after obj left and obj wasn't getting the catches or the touchdowns or the bulk receiving yards that we see he did in la but well well well, well. that's where i'm going to jump in real quick i saw something uh the other day obj's averages with the rams are very strikingly similar to his averages with the Browns per game. Uh, the only difference is touchdowns. He averages, what did I see? I saw like to 30 40. to 50 yards a game, yeah. um, you know, three to five catches. That's pretty much what he did in Cleveland every game. Three catches, 30, 40 yards, no touchdown though. Yeah, that sounds about right. The one, The one thing though, OPJ in Cleveland commanded the top cornerback on defenses, right? Nine times out of 10, I would imagine. Maybe I'm yeah. wrong. on the Rams, I believe he gets a split between cornerback one and cornerback two. If Cooper Cup is playing in the slot, he'll get cornerback one. If Cooper's outside on the other side of OBJ, he'll get cornerback two. Yeah, so, makes sense. Anyway, tangential, but... Uh, if you could get a wide receiver that can fill the cornerback to occupancy slot, I guess, if that makes any sense, that would be up there on my priority list. Yeah, I think I think what we could do, um, and th- I want to save snaps. I want to set snaps aside for DPJ. I want Schwartz to be able to develop a little bit, take those steps that we saw DPJ take last offseason. Hope, hopefully Schwartz okay. can take those this offseason. I, I um, see. I see Schwartz in two years. The ceiling of Tyler Lockett. The floor of Marquez Valdez Scantling. Yeah, that's, that's where I see him. Um, the development in two years, where if you know, provided he's got a quarterback, then that can sling it. Um, he'll beat anybody in a go route, um, but his route running, like Marquez Valdez Scantling, is not amazing. Um, but he could develop into a mid-range pass catcher with an amazing deep ball receiving ability like Tyler Lockett. That's where I see Anthony Schwartz, but you'll never think of Tyler Lockett as a go-to wide receiver one, right? You see him as a solid wide receiver too. Yeah. So yeah, I'd yeah. like to develop, but I think that's the role he's going to assume in the next two years. Yeah. So that I do like that. And to kind of go off that, I would try and sign a wide receiver, but, one that has, you know, high upside, also high risk, um, but I wouldn't sign him for a ton of money. Um, you know, I think of 
Think of MLB teams trying to sign rebound candidates when the you Tigers signed Jonathan Scope. <laughs> uh, hey, I mean, someone who's going to sign, who if you have to cut, you have to cut because you're going to take a first-round wide receiver. If they come out of the gates playing like a wide receiver one, like most people think Garrett Wilson will, if he comes out of the gates playing like that, there's no real need for Antonio Brown. <laughs> or, I'm using the name Antonio Brown to to signify what kind character. of wide receiver. Yeah. Um, so you sign a guy like that. You draft the first round wide receiver. The first round wide receiver comes in preseason training camp, just through the roof, looks like your wide receiver one. Um, then you don't really have a need for this veteran. Um, but the veteran can also eat some snaps if that rookie takes a little time to develop. So that's the way I see it. Sign, maybe go a little risky. Um, sign a guy. If you if you need him, you need him. If you don't, you don't. The return um, Josh Gordon. Hey, I would be absolutely in love with that move. I, I was always a Josh Gordon fan. I still root for him, even on the Chiefs. He's gotten about eight chances. What's one more? I mean. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he hasn't gotten suspended in a couple of years, so. No, he hasn't. And I have more sympathy for a Josh Gordon than I do an Antonio Brown, because Antonio Brown has a track record of disrespecting every single person he's ever come across. Like <laughs> men and women, professionals and male delivery workers, like um, I wouldn't, I would rather have Josh Gordon, who is at this point in his career, probably less skilled than Antonio Brown and less refined. Um, yeah, as far as a character perspective goes, and you're dealing with a guy who has like a true addiction. Like it's something that I can embrace a little more than someone who just like hates everybody he's around. Not to tangent on that, but Josh Gordon's demonstrated that he can stay in the league. It's someone that I'd take a flyer on, especially with his history in Cleveland. Like he'd be, it would be a very, very crowd pleasing move. And there wouldn't be the expectation for Josh Gordon to be wide receiver one because his legs have gotten five years older from when he was that elite wide receiver that we remember in Cleveland. So you ask him to be wide receiver two or three. I think that's a role that he can fill. And then you ask a wide receiver one in the draft to um, be at that point by week five or six, which is where we've seen CD lamb and other wide receiver ones out of the draft kind of develop into Mm -hmm. Jamar chase an exception, but uh, Justin Jefferson didn't really, hit hit until week four so it takes time to develop these first round receivers yeah and i i will argue though while i love josh gordon he's not very refined as a route runner or a wide receiver i remember watching those old browns games where i'm sure in the huddle they just said josh run as far as you can and we're just going to throw it as far as we can well that's what he has to catch it (laughs) yeah he's huge and he's athletic so he can go and win jump balls but you're not going to ask him to be Devontae Adams coming out of a break. Yeah. He, I mean, if you look up Josh Gordon highlights from those years where he was with the Browns, I'm pretty positive. Probably 97% of the highlights are on go routes uh, where he just catches the ball, bullies the corner and gets in the end zone. So he was awesome. Did the Browns draft him that year or the year before? I uh, he wore number 13 for a year and then switched to 12. So he was with the team for at least two or three years. Uh, he was a supplemental draft pick. Okay. That's what I thought. I didn't remember him being a uh, high round wide receiver pick. That's, that's all really. 
Um, that's all I have to say on Josh Gordon. I just looked him up on Twitter right now. Just I mean, no reason to not go for a reunion, right? I don't think anybody on the Browns wears number 12 either. And I don't think that the Chiefs have a impetus to re-sign him unless he, like, overperforms in the playoffs. <laughs> Uh, to the degree that Antonio Brown did last year for the Bucks, like that's the kind of player you've described as veteran who is aware of the league. Is you're not going to ask to be wide receiver one, but can chew snaps at the beginning of the year. I think Josh Gordon would be an interesting pick. I, I, I really do. I think I think the stage is set for it. Right, the Browns kind of have <laughs> <Yeah>. to. <laughs> We've talked ourselves into the Josh Gordon. <laughs> Now I'll be disappointed if we don't. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking up his stats right now from this year. Um, what, seven catches maybe? I know he got a touchdown. He got at least one. Because yeah. there's that, the Andy Reid moment where you turn on a Chiefs game and it's like, oh, yeah, that guy's in the league. Oh, right. <laughs> Byron Pringle just scored one. I forgot about him. He always schemes open the wide receiver six at least twice a year. So I know Josh Gordon's received one touchdown because I saw it on Twitter.com. Um, anyways, this is not important right now. What is important right now is what's going on in baseball or what's not going on in baseball. Um, <laughs> there's a lockout happening. Will, if you'd like to uh, take center stage and do your best to tell us all about it. Well, I can try, but there's not much to tell. Uh, you know, Everything that I've seen online is that the two sides are light years apart. I've heard um, so if I if I'm speculating, I would say maybe expect a delayed start to the year. I mean, you think pitchers and catchers report next month, um, yeah, and then spring training that. starts in a month and a half. And this is the first time the MLB owners and the players' association has players' union has met since the lockout started, um, yeah, which January was 13. a month ago. So yeah. if that tells you how motivated or lack there or how much motivation or lack thereof, the two sides have to get a deal put together. Um, you know, it's, it's crazy. I would think they'd be at least a little motivated. You know, if there's a lockout, the owners lose money. If there's a lockout, the players lose money. And that, that's what the whole CBA is about. It's about, who's going to make the money, how they're going to make it, that kind of stuff. Um, so it's kind of it's kind of crazy to me that they're not more motivated to get a deal done. But it's, it is what it is. And I will say one tidbit that I found interesting uh, because MLB team employees are not allowed to communicate with MLB players. Right. And Zach Britton is an MLB player. Zach Britton's brother is a minor league coach. They technically cannot talk until there's a CBA. That's Would have made for awesome. some awkward holidays, right? <laughs> yeah, at the Britton household. That's <laughs> yeah, bizarre. yeah. Maybe they can't talk in like an official capacity. Like, yeah, yeah. It's just yeah. It's it's created some interesting scenarios where um, players going into this season. Uh, have a lot of leverage in the sense that if you're a top end MLB player, all the chips are with you. Whereas if you're an expendable MLB player to a minor league baseball player, I feel like you're kind of on the short end of the stick with the uh, lockout right now. Tell me if I'm right or wrong about that. Yeah, no, I agree with that. 
Um, you know, this, I mean, some of the proposed changes would benefit those fringe players a little bit, and they'd also benefit the superstars more, though. Right. Um, and just on the flip side of that, you know, other policies would impact superstars, but greatly impact fringe players, minor league guys. So it, it is kind of tailor-made to the faces of the sport uh, as well to the owners. So I will say, though, one thing I'd like to see is an increase in the sal- like a salary floor. I agree. I agree. Make the, whether, make the whether dull and spend a little money. <laughs> yeah. I, baseball will never be a salary cap sport. Yeah. And I think that's kind of what's damned the sport to a degree. Um, if you look back on the past 25 years or whatever, I do this little thought experiment with my friends whenever they talk about baseball and they ask what my biggest criticism of it is. Uh, you look back on those years and you say, the Kansas City Royals won one and the Washington Nationals won one. And then that's been it for mid-market teams. Quite literally, that's been it. Uh, if you look at the yearly salary of teams that has won the World Series. So a salary ceiling, like a salary cap will never happen. Uh, the sport is not geared that way. The CBA historically has not behaved that way. And changing that precedent, I don't think would ever happen. Uh, the only way that it would happen, I think, would be like severing like an entire baseball season to work on that deal. Uh, so I don't think that would happen because if a whole baseball season goes under, then both sides lose out on millions and millions and millions. Um, a salary floor would be interesting because it encourages competitive play every year. Um, it, it avoids tanking. Not to say that tanking is really that helpful in baseball because it's not, um, but it encourages competitiveness and Owners in baseball typically are less concerned with that and more concerned with the profit margin of owning a major league baseball team. So I think it would be hard to push forth, but I think it'd be more actionable than creating a salary cap. Yeah. And I really like the idea from a, from a selfish Cleveland guardians perspective, um, because if that can get implemented in this CBA, then we don't have to trade jose ramirez and shane bieber so because that's down that's that's right around the bend that will happen mid-season off-season jose ramirez will be in a different uniform yeah unfortunately um, i'd say i'd give him another year i bet they give him until the end of the year and then shane bieber a year and a half yeah it's it's coming up quicker than we'd like it to um, I will say Cleveland's got a good crop of minor leaguers coming up. Double They've always got right a good now, crop so. of minor leaguers, though. Where do you think Lindor and Ramirez came from? I know, but well, let's not forget Ramirez was he was a he was a space eater on the field. You're right, You're right. He was <laughs> uh, not for, amazing for a rebuilding team. He was not amazing. And then Fellow. then he took a little more seasoning down in down in spicy Columbus and. Uh, and then he started, up and he started decided he, to become a superstar. Right, he started the 2015 year, if if you remember, in left field. Remember that? Yeah. Maybe it was yeah. the 2015 year in left field. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was that was the one year eBay. It was year, the one year eBay and Marlon Bird year. Marlon Bird got <laughs> knocked for PEDs after about 12 games. And one year eBay got hit in the balls and then cut like a week later. <laughs> yeah. And so that's when Jose became you know, full-time third baseman. What a time, um, man. I will say, keep an eye out for George Valera. 
double A right now. Sure, I've seen A. some seen some highlights of of him playing in I think it's the Dominican Winter League. Hmm. I could be wrong on that, but man, that swing is it's a thing of beauty. I've never seen one like it. Outfielder, right? Yeah. Yep. So he he just went up to double A at the end of the year, but helped Akron win the double A championship. So expect him to start in Akron, make his way to Columbus by midseason. Yeah. That's that would be my guess. And then maybe a September cup of coffee, if not opening day next year. September um, cup of coffee. I will say the if the season's delayed, that greatly hurts one of my bold predictions for the offseason in that Cleveland was going to give Nolan Jones some reps in the outfield, and if he was deemed serviceable, he would be the opening day corner outfielder. But you can't do that if there's no spring training. So Right, you're right. That'll make him a midseason call-up. Yeah. Probably. They don't want to start his service time, though, you know? I mean, he's 24 now. I mean, you're not going to gain much from, I know. from <laughs> delaying him. Yeah, you're right. It's not like you're protecting a 19-year-old. Yeah, and he's not he's not the the superstar prospect anymore that he was 2-3 years ago. He's kind of taken not a step back, but you know more of who he is now. And sure. and that is still in my opinion a quality starting caliber player in the MLB. Yeah, as a hitter he kind of reminds me of a little bit of Carlos Santana. Draws a lot of walks. Hits for power. I really hit for a high average. No, <laughs> I so. miss a man. I do too. He, he was one of my favorite up? players for the longest time. Lead off Santana. Remember that? <laughs> yeah, I mean the dude gets on base. You yeah, can't ask for much more. Yeah, clearly Terry was watching Moneyball. Tito as a Moneyball manager. Can you imagine? Well, he kind of is. I mean, yeah, he's more a little bit. Watching. He's more into bunting than Brad Pitt ever was. Yeah. Say that. He's yeah. more into bunting than Billy Bean. But um, as far as working with no money and creating pitching staffs that can get you through games, I mean, using Andrew Miller for three innings at a time yeah. in 2016, even though he burned him out in the game that mattered <laughs> most, uh, it's, it's a unique strategy. Uh, I don't think many managers would have thought that way. So he created Moneyball on his own, on his own devices. I will say I love what Tito did with pitching uh, when we traded for Andrew Miller. He completely changed the way the game is viewed as, you know, as a bullpen. I, I uh, Because people now consider games to be able to be saved and won in the seventh inning. I mean, yeah. big money is being spent on not just a setup guy, but the setups setup. Like I remember the Yankees three years ago copied the, at that time, Cleveland Indians and getting Zach Britton, um, obviously a role Chapman. Oh, who was that other big righty they had? Um, Dylan Batances. Yeah. Dylan Batances. Uh, so they had seven, eight, nine locked up. That's a very, very difficult thing to <laughs> do in major league baseball. Have your entire last third of the game go to closing caliber relief pitchers. Yeah, and I think it's funny uh, that Andrew Miller was, you know, he was a setup man by name, right? but you'd bring him in, 7th, 8th, ninth inning, whichever one you're facing the heart of the order in. 
Um, yeah. So if the if three, four, five come up in the seventh inning, that's Andrew Miller's inning. And maybe he'll get a little bit of the eighth. Maybe he won't. Uh, Brian Shaw was pretty good that year, aside from his m- once per month blow up. Which I'll um, again be <laughs> in the game seven of the World Series, but whatever. You know. Uh, and then I love Cody Allen, but I will say, like, he wasn't untouchable. No, he had Cody a great Allen, curveball and a good yeah. fastball, but Cody he Allen wasn't was, untouchable. He was schemed into an all star relief pitcher. Uh, if if yeah, using I, the phrase schemed into is good for baseball, because if he's simply straight up given the ninth inning at all times, if that includes the heart of the order, then I think he would be like a Mendoza line relief pitcher. But Tito definitely did manipulate his pitching staff to the meat of their order to give Cody Allen the best chance for success. And sometimes that meant giving him four outs. Sometimes that meant giving him two. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, it also gave the whole bullpen um you know it played to the whole bullpen strengths and it it helped the team and i i loved what he did with that bullpen it was awesome yeah and that's why i'm grateful he's coming back all i've heard recently from cleveland reporters is um that looking for a new manager might be one of the priorities in the next off season or two and if terry's health lets him come back to the field and he wants to i don't see why you would even entertain that option i agree Uh, but there you do have to be ready. Yeah, I mean, there's the a health time. is an issue. Yeah, I agree. But there comes a time when you start to, you know, you outthink the room. You try to be the smartest guy in the room. I think that's what the Dolphins did with Brian Flores. Yeah. That While we're on the topic, you're a Florida guy. What are your thoughts on Brian Flores getting canned after lots of success? Yeah, so I wouldn't call myself a Florida guy, even though I live in Florida. <laughs> um, but I do, you know, I have coworkers and friends who are Dolphins fans. And I've been talking to them about it because I know my opinion on it is that 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 was a horrible move. Um, I agree. You know, he went in and completely changed the culture. They were one of the most flagged teams. He comes in, they start committing almost no penalties. Um, and then you're just going to move on. Uh, but to get back to it, I was talking to some coworkers and friends who are Dolphins fans, and they are they're up in arms. They want the owner gone. They want the GM gone. They want Brian Flores back. They want everybody but Brian Flores gone. Um, so that's that's the way it's looking in Florida right now. Yeah, it's bizarre because I what I've heard from Big J Journos is that he is kind of a conflict to work with, like a macho man type, leader of men, stereotype, all of that stuff. But also, if you look at his track record, did he start this year off poorly? Yes was part of that because his B minus at best quarterback was hurt also. Yes. So, um, and then turning around and winning eight straight or whatever to close out the year, including against new England in a game that mattered for new England, um, back-to-back winning seasons with two as your starting quarterback, your, your side of the ball as a defensive head coach has been excellent for two years, defense and special teams. The dolphins have been top third mm-hmm. in the league. And you've put, you've put yourself in positions to vie for a wild card in a conference with Bill Belichick and um, Brian Dable with Josh Allen. Like, there are harder jobs in the world. And the one thing that you had as the Miami Dolphins organization was a competent coach that could compete with both of those teams. Now you're looking for a coach. And I don't think that Robert Sala is a very 
good coach. I understand the jury's still out on him because he's only had one year, but there's nothing that has proven that he knows how to manage an offensive game plan well. Uh, what you've done as the Dolphins is by hiring a new coach, now you have the fourth best coach in your division by yeah. definition. I mean, that's never where you want to be in the NFL, in a division where you have the worst coach and or the worst quarterback. If you have one or a combination of both of those, it'll be a long three years until that gets recycled again. So you had a, I would argue, number two coach in that division. I would rather have Brian Flores over Sean McDermott. That's just me, though, from a personal standpoint. Obviously, Bill Belichick stands on a pedestal of his own, but um, that wasn't the problem in Miami. It wasn't. And I think the Dolphins just didn't want to admit that the problem lied with the personnel on the offense. I mean, right. And that's have, a GM thing. You have Tua handing off to Miles Gaskin and throwing to Preston Williams and Albert Wilson. Um, hey, oh, Devontae hey. Parker, too. Hey, J- hey, Jalen Waddle was pretty good. Okay. Yeah. Pretty Jalen Waddle. I, I will say, I, don't know how, was I just awful. forgot about him. <laughs> Will Fuller was a that was a bad experiment. Um, yeah, but, but and the Dolphins have a bad offensive line. A lot of that's personnel. You look to the side of the ball that Brian Flores coaches, though. The defense has been great. Yeah, get him an offensive coordinator. That should have been the priority instead of resetting the clock on a on a quarterback who's now in uh, year three. Um, so it's not like you're firing the coach after his first year, essentially hitting the reset button saying, okay, here's your four years. We can pick up your option four years to develop with this coach. Now you've got two years to develop with a coach because I don't think they'd pick up Tua's fifth year option. You're giving him now 34 games to be the best he can be. And is there another coach out there that can elevate Tua to a level that he isn't already right now? I don't, I don't Potential, know. Potentially. Maybe, maybe um, he gets. Maybe if Miami gets their hands on one of the better offensive guys in the league, but that's what uh, I'm thinking. I'm thinking Miami's only real real hope right now. The only, probably the only the two signings that I would get behind if I were a Dolphins fan would be the enemy. Uh, but also, I like Greg Roman. Greg Roman is a great offensive coach, and look what he's done with Lamar Jackson. Yeah. Um, he knows how to tailor an offense to the personnel. And that's exactly what Miami needs at the moment. So I agree. I think, I think he's a great fit, but not as good of a fit as Brian Flores. I agree. Um, And yeah, Hispanic guy in Miami. I mean, he matched the culture there. He's what the city, that's why the hurricanes were, partially keen on getting Mario Cristobal. Like it matters in the city of Miami, right? That makes a difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It matters in Miami. You can probably speak to that more than I can, but I thought he fit the culture. He fit the city there. And it's a shame to see that, but whether it's in retail, whether it's in wall street coaching football, if you hire or if you fire someone and then immediately they become the best candidate for the job elsewhere, like <laughs> maybe you're to blame. You know, it's like not just the Rounders. best candidate for one job, but the best candidate for multiple jobs, probably right. every job opening. <laughs> I would agree. And it's like the scene in Rounders. Like if you're playing poker and you can't figure it, like if you every table has a sucker and if you can't figure it out, then I've got some bad news for you. <laughs> like there's always a sucker 
And if you don't know who it is, it's you. And I kind of feel like that's the situation the Dolphins are in right now. They tried to tried to be the smartest guy in the room, and I think it, it backfired just a little bit, just a, a lot of it. So yeah, definitely <laughs> backfired on him there. That was. I mean, we'll see. Move. We'll see. Maybe, maybe you know, they can upgrade. They the Arizona Cardinals fired their head coach and got rid of their quarterback after just one year. Brought in Kingsbury and Kyler Murray, and that worked out well. So. There's always a chance that, you know, they've got a, a joker up their sleeve that, you know, they've handshaken, agreed to um, kind of behind closed doors deal. A Jim Harbaugh would be interesting uh, offensive guy. Mm. So would um, be very interesting. Often, I mean, he was a quarterback, right? Like that's what he was in college. I think so. Right. Yeah. He should know the offense side of the ball pretty well. Um but then again, Michigan hasn't been known for offense really any year since he's been there. They've You're always right. It's been a defense odd. first team. And you know what's also been an interesting reaction? Uh, what's an that? interesting little knee jerk reaction. I think Jim Harbaugh can coach. I really do. Um, and that pains me to say as a Buckeye guy, but like he's always in a bad situation at the University of Michigan because he just gets outclassed in recruiting. Um, he got to a Super Bowl in the NFL. He's in the playoffs right now. But, you know, four weeks ago, if Jim Harbaugh lost to Ohio State, he would be run out of town or asked to take a serious salary cut. And then he'd be hired, you know, either by, I don't know, like Arkansas or some like B to C tier power one or power five team or as a head coach that yields power to his coordinators. Um but he beat Ohio State, and now he's one of the leading candidates for NFL jobs. It's crazy how quickly things can change. It's not like he learned how to coach in that three hours. It's not like he had an epiphany. He was visited by the football gods. Like His ability to coach has not changed, but the fact that he won the big game now probably got him uh, a life of luxury in an NFL stadium. Yeah. It's, it's just interesting. It's, it's funny to think about how quickly – opportunities can arise when you're not expecting them to very much so so pretty crazy um but that's kind of all i got on the lockout and brian flores and the cleveland browns and and everything between here there and everywhere yeah i can't say that i have a ton more to say um i think i I think i left it all out there (laughs) (laughs) yeah me too and so with that uh We'll let you guys go on this cold January 13th, at least where I am. So as always, I'm Isaac. And I'm Will. And we will catch you next time. Next time. Excuse me. See ya. <laughs> See ya.